are now listening to an inspirational message from the Greater Shallow Missionary Baptist Church, where Dr. Michael Wesley Sr. is pastor. Please join the service in progress.
all stand up and sing with us. Come on. of your Holy Spirit we thank you for the move of God that has come upon us we thank you for this time in your holy presence we pray now that you would lift again your human out of self fill us with the Holy Spirit speak to us and through us in this moment bless the words that are in our mouth and the meditations that are on our heart that it may be acceptable in your sight Oh, Lord, you are our strength. You are our redeemer. Move by your power now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Come on, give the Lord some praise. Hand clap of praise. Amen. Amen. The word of the Lord this morning will come to us from the gospel of Matthew, Matthew's gospel, the ninth chapter, verses 35, on into the first verse of the 10th chapter. And there we find these words recorded. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. 
and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then said he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. And when he had called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. This is the word of God for the people of God. I want to preach this morning from this subject, the harvest and the laborers, the harvest and the laborers. My brothers and sisters, we're living in some critical times in the United States of America. We are on the world stage, but in particular on these home soils. The recent ruling of the United States Supreme Court in striking down affirmative action seems to set a continual precedence that conservative justices feel as if they can be the voice of conscience for the nation. The nation struggles in some way for clear leadership that those on both sides of the aisle who are waving the banner that it should be me. President is saying it should be me. Republican members of Congress are saying it should be me. Donald J. is saying it should not be me. <laughs> but God is still on the throne. And he has not relinquished his power. And what this does, this, this action, is just one more mark in a continual progressive reversal of circumstances that have transpired over, over history. And it's all aimed at the least of these. And people who are brown and black color and others while affirmative action was not an end in of itself, it made it possible that some doors could be opened that are now being closed again. And say what you want to say, race is an issue in this nation. And, 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 and God is not for that. God is always concerned about those who are on the lower end of the spectrum. He's concerned about the poor. He's concerned about the weak. He's concerned about those who cannot do what they would like to do. And as a result of our continued disobedience toward the will and ways of God, this nation is setting itself up for judgment. Judgment that's already here, but a catastrophic judgment that's yet to come. The judgment that's already here is the judgment of abandonment because God has taken his hand off of the nation. We have said and affirmed through our money in God we trust, but that is not what we're doing. And so as a result, we have to look again to the Lord to see what his direction is and what he is saying is ultimately going to be the consummation of all of it. And I think it's laid out here in our scripture text. So we look again at the teaching ministry of Jesus to, to garner a fresh direction 
about what ought to be and what is going to be. So when we come to the ninth chapter of Matthew, we, we find the, the text puts us in the middle of a transition, a change, a shift in the writing of the gospel writer Matthew. Matthew, in his early chapters, has presented Jesus as the Jewish Messiah, as the king of the world. He starts out in chapter 1 by giving us a genealogy, a listing showing Jesus came down all the way through 42 different generations. Then in chapter 2, we hear the announcement of him as king when the men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. They were looking for a king, a Jewish king. Then when Jesus goes into the baptismal pool in chapters 3 and 4, God affirms, you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And we see the attack on Jesus when he comes out of the baptismal pool by Satan himself. If you be the son of God, turn these stones into bread. And Jesus says to him, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then we see Jesus affirming himself as the king, announcing the kingdom, and laying out the principles of the kingdom in the teaching in Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7. And in chapter 8, he demonstrates his power over nature. He demonstrates his power over the demonic. He demonstrates his power in multiple settings. And when we conclude in the verses that we have read, we see now a shift, a transition from what his outward ministry has been to a private series of conversations with his disciples to let them know what they need to do and what ultimately is getting ready to happen. So he pulls them aside and he's speaking to them and he says to them, the harvest is plenteous. The problem is the laborers. So before we see that, let's look at what Jesus really was showing to us. For this generation and this age and this time, we look first at his ministry. We see three things in this text. We see the ministry of Jesus. We see the motivations that he has for what he does. And then we see the methodologies or the methods that he uses to bring about the work that needs to be done. And if we understand these, we can be helped. So first, let's look at his ministry. What does he say? Verse 35, the Bible says here that he went about in all of the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues. So the first thing we see Jesus doing is going through the villages and teaching the word in the synagogues. Now, now that, that has very valuable implication for us today because the synagogue was the learning station. It was the teaching place. Around the Lake of Galilee, Josephus, the Jewish historian, records that there were more than 204 villages tucked in those hills and studded around the Sea of Galilee. And in all of those little villages, wherever there was at least eight Jewish families, there was a synagogue, a teaching station. So teaching was a premium in the Jewish society. And Jesus himself goes around and provides the instruction that people need. Look at what happens in a typical synagogue. That would be, that would be the reading of the Torah, the law. And then that would be the reading of the prophet. And then there would be one person who would stand up and give an exposition, an explanation of the scriptures. Somebody else would stand and interpret it from the Hebrew scriptures into Aramaic, which was the common language of that day. You know, Jesus was a guest teacher. And often when the guest teacher was in the house, he was given the privilege to present the sermon. 
You remember when Jesus was in his hometown of Nazareth, he stood up and he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel. He has sent me to heal the broken heart. He was given an explanation of the prophet that had been read. It had, they had read the book of Isaiah. And Jesus said, this day is this scripture being fulfilled in your hearing. What are we saying? That that still needs to be teaching, 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 teaching. The White House would not get better. The Black House would not get better. Your house would not get better. The church house would not get better. Apart from teaching the word of God. We've gotten so slick and so sophisticated with all of our stuff that we've left off the teaching. But he went about teaching in their synagogues, in the teaching station. And then it also says the second element of his ministry, he went outside of the synagogue and he preached the kingdom of God. Wherever he went, when he was not in a formal church setting in the Jewish synagogue, whether it was on the hillside or whether it was in the cemetery or whether it was on the sea, wherever he went, he preached, he proclaimed the kingdom of God. He proclaimed that there is a king and there is a kingdom and these are the requirements to be a part of the kingdom of God. And we've gotten silent on that. We wonder why it's all messed up. We're not telling everybody about the king. This man want to be the king. This woman over here want to be the king. Everybody want to be the king. But it's one king, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of us all. We've got to learn to point people to the king. And, and he said, those things where he went, he proclaimed. He talked in the teaching station. He proclaimed in the public spaces the kingdom and the king. And not only that, but he also went forth and he healed all sickness and disease. I mean, Jesus, Jesus healed. I mean, he healed. He, he almost single-handed eliminated, eradicated all diseases in Galilee during his earthly ministry. No, no new hospitals were being built. As a matter of fact, the ones that existed were closing because people were bringing their sick to Jesus. They, they, they would bring them on mats. They would bring them on cots. They would tear up people roofs to lower them down in the presence of Jesus. Whatever was necessary, as long as people could get somebody to Jesus, they knew that he could heal. And it wasn't a disease. He said, oh, that's too tough for me. No, bring it on. And whatever it was, he healed it. He dealt with it. And I tell you today, he's still able. So the question is, why did he do it? Why, 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 would he, why would he do the healing like that? Because he had been out teaching. And, and when he was teaching, he, the people had to react. They had to say, his teaching is not like those of the religious leaders. His words are not like that of the Pharisees. He speaks as one with authority. And so the miracles that he did, the healing that he did, backed up. The, the teaching that he had done. He had proclaimed that he was the son of God and the miracles demonstrated that he was the son of God. Listen at the testimony. A man named Nicodemus came to him by night and he said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God for no man can do these miracles that you're doing unless God be with him. The centurion at the cross smote his breast and said, surely this must be the son of God. Wherever he went, man, even Peter out on the fishing boat, we caught so many fish, and he said, depart from me, O Lord, for I'm a sinful man. They recognized, and the miracles that he did verified that he was who he said he was. So, so we get a glimpse into the ministry of Jesus. Why should we be listening to him? Why should we not be worried about the Supreme Court, the President, the Congress of the United States, and all those other things? Because God is still there. And we need to be listening to him. And we need to have our eyes focused on him. He still has power. He still has the word. He still has the proclamation that we need to hear. The good news. But I want you to look secondly, not only at his ministry, 
But I want you to look secondly uh, at, at his work, the work that Jesus does. And, and, and the motives for why he did what he did. Why, why would somebody do that? Not only to demonstrate his power, but look at what he does when he demonstrates his power. He wants to prove that God is a compassionate God. And so all of his miracles were done because it demonstrates his compassion. See, you, you can't know what kind of God you're dealing with unless you see his heart. And what Jesus wanted to demonstrate is that God is concerned about your pain. And that's why, that's why, that's why he had compassion. That's, that, that's, that motivated him. It was his compassion. It was, it was what he had on the inside of him that wanted him to let others know what kind of God he is. See, that's our problem today. We don't know what we got. But if we look at the fruit of it, we'll see what we have. We'll see that we have compassionless people making laws and decisions. We have people who are not concerned about the least of these. We don't want them to get education. We don't want them to know their history. We don't want them to have abortions when, they, when somebody violates them or do something wrong to them. We don't want women to have control of their bodies. We don't want people to have rights. We want to turn back the hands of time. That's what you see. But when you look at Jesus, you see somebody who comes along beside you and has compassion. The text said he looked out at the multitude and he had compassion. He had pity on them. He felt sorry for them because he saw that they were like sheep without a shepherd. And over and over again, the Bible says he had compassion came across a leper one day, man with a dreaded disease that nobody wanted to touch. But Jesus said, come here, I'll touch you. Because Jesus wanted to enter into his pain with him and let him know, you're not in this by yourself. Somebody else cares. We got ready to raise Lazarus from the dead. The Bible said he went to the tomb of Lazarus and Jesus wept. He cried. He demonstrated compassion, not only for Mary and Martha, that they had lost their brothers, but he looked at the barrel of time, and he looked at all of those who would sorrow because loved ones would be removed from life. And he had compassion on them. Oh, when he went to the cross and he was hanging between two thieves, it was a time he should have been feeling sorry for himself. But he did not look at the wounds in his feet or the nail prints in his hand. He only looked down from the cross and he saw his mother Mary. And he had compassion on her. Who's going to take care of Mary? Joseph's gone. No welfare. No social security. Nobody else in the family is a believer. So John, here's your mama. And mama, here's your son. Here's how you're going to be taken care of. He had compassion. He still has compassion. He knows when you're unemployed. He knows when you're sick. He knows when you've been terminated. He knows your uprising and your down sitting. There's not a word in your mouth altogether that he doesn't know. And he cares. I'm so glad he cares. He shows up by my bedside in the midnight hour and he dries my tears because he cares about me. Has compassion. The kind of God that we have to deal with is a God who loves us and cares for us and has compassion upon us and enters into our pain with us. That's the God that we serve. And so that was his motive. He was compassionate. And the second reason that Jesus did what he did, not only was he compassionate and wanted people to see what kind of God we have, but Jesus actually looked out at people and he saw their desperation. He saw their needs. See, he, he wasn't fooled by the religious establishment of his day because he called them out. He, 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 he was bold, see. He didn't line up and get behind Trump. He didn't do that. No, he called them out. 
He didn't look at the phone. He looked at the phony stuff and he called it out. He said, oh yes, you Pharisees and Sadducees. He said, on the outside, you're painted like whited tombs, but on the inside, you're like dead men's bones. He looked at another group. He got John the Baptist called him out too. He said, you're a generation of vipers, snakes. He called it out. He saw past the religious leaders. He saw the desperation in the hearts of people for authentic leadership. And he saw that people needed a real relationship with God. So not only did he care, but he saw their real condition. Aren't you glad today that we have a God who sees our condition? Someone who, who really knows what affirmative action really is. Affirmative action is really God's action. It's really the concern for the least of these people who have been brought to this country in the hulls of slave ships who were treated inhumane for centuries and were now finally given an opportunity to go to school and get an education based, yes, on the color of their skin because everything else had been against the color of their skin. And now to say, oh, we shouldn't do that. Something is wrong with that picture. It demonstrates compassionless leadership. It demonstrates someone who doesn't see the desperation that's in people. I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, education was touted as our way out. If we went to school, if we got an education, we had an opportunity to better our condition and to make good on our life. And some of our parents could not pay for a college education. So there were student loans and there were Pell Grants and there were other things that afforded us an opportunity to go to school. And they knew we couldn't pay it back. And it compounded with interest. People live their whole life and can't come out of that debt. So I'm trying to tell you, God is compassionate. He sees your desperation. He knows your need. But what I love about the motivation of Jesus, not only ministry, not only the motivation of compassion and seeing the desperation of people, but he sees the end, the consummation of it all. Jesus sees what's going to happen to those religious bigots. He sees what's going to happen to those who mistreat the least of these. So he turns to his disciples and he says to them in private, the harvest is truly plenteous, but the laborers are few. Now let's, let's, let's understand what could he have meant when he said the harvest is plenteous. The harvest is, is, is the judgment. If, if you want to read it about it, read these passages of scripture. Read Isaiah uh, chapter 17. Look there for a moment, if you will. Isaiah chapter 17, verses 10 and 11. And, and, and he talks there about the judgment. They read uh, Joel, the prophet Joel, also speaks about that, chapter 3, verse 9. But in case you can't handle the Old Testament, let me bring it to you a little clearer. Come on with me in the New Testament to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 13. Where Jesus was given a parable. He had been given a parable of the wheat and the tares. And he said a man had sold a field of wheat. But then when the boys went out to bring in the crops, they could see that the field had been oversold with tares or donnells or weeds. And they wanted to know, Master, what, ha what happened? Did we not plant wheat? And then Jesus said, an enemy has done this. And an enemy has oversold the field. Because in those days, if you wanted to ruin a person, you would oversold their field with weeds. And rather than their good crop coming up, you got a crop full of weeds. So they said, well, we can see them now. We can see the wheat and the tares growing up together. Jesus said, let them alone. 
He, he, the, the boys, the workers would say, we can see the difference. Do you want us to go out there and pull them up? Jesus said, no, don't do that because you're going to pull up some good stuff if you go. He said, let it stay, listen, until the harvest time. And he, and he said, he said, I got a special group that will serve as those reapers. In the end of the time, the angels will come. And the angels will be the reapers. The harvest is the judgment, my brothers and sisters. Let me put it another way. Another way to look at this thing. It's an agricultural metaphor. And in this agricultural metaphor, what, what, what it would be, a, a man who would sow his, his crops would know that a timetable was at hand. That the end of the summer, like now, middle of the summer, uh, they would have to get all of the crops in before the fall came. Because when the fall came, the rains would come. <coughs> and the rains would come and continually and would wash out and destroy the crops. So the farmer would be desperate to find enough workers that he could put into his field to gather in the crops before it's too late. Oh, I wish you could see it. I wish I could say it like I see it. Jesus is saying the end of the world is coming. And, and before it happens, uh, the harvest is full. The harvest is plenty. There are lost people out there. There are crops that are going to be ruined. There are people that are going to be lost. They're going to spend a timeless eternity in hell unless somebody go out there. But he says, but the work is too big for one person to do it by themselves. He said the harvest is truly plenty, but the problem is us. It's the laborers. It's church folk that's the problem. Church folk can't work together. Black people can't work together. Everybody else can get together and do their wrong or do their dirt, but we can't get on one accord. We want to tear each other down. We want to drive by and shoot up each other's house. We want to tear down children. We want to blow them up and blow them out. We want to get smart with people in church. We want to talk about one another and tear each other's reputation apart. You're looking at the wrong thing, baby. The harvest is plenteous. It's the laborers that are few. You ought to pray. Listen to what the boss said. See, he has a method, a plan for how we can come out of this mess. And it won't be putting more people in the Supreme Court. It won't be necessarily putting your buddy or uh, brother or sister over here. No, it's going to be Christian people standing up and being bold enough to tell another Christian that they need a relationship with Jesus. And just like these disciples, one person at a time, one family at a time, one church at a time, one community at a time, until the permeation has taken place throughout the nation. And we can come out. He said, the harvest, the, the, the judgment is ready. It's going to be a lot of folk that's moving already toward hell because of the way that they've been acting and the way that they've been behaving. And it's inevitable. But he says, the hope is in the laborers. But the laborers, he says, are few. So what is his method? He said, we need people. And I'm going to give you this and I'm done. Who have insight. People who can recognize and see that there is a problem. You got a whole lot of folks who can't see that that's a problem. They can't see that there's a problem in this nation. Yes, I'm going to call it out. I know this is going on television. I know this is going on radio. Wherever it goes, I don't care. It needs to go. You got people who cannot see. You have a person who is leading to become the leader of the most powerful nation on the world who has been impeached twice, who has been charged and, and convicted of something else and have three or four other charges and you still got blind people lining up behind this and saying, this is what we want. 
When Jesus is standing with his arms saying, come unto me, all you that labor the heavy labor, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. You got people, man, who are blind. They can't see the truth. They can't see the change that has taken place. They can't see the agenda. We got a lot of African-American people who can't see the change, who can't see the need to register, who can't see the need on election day to go to the polls and cast your vote and make your voice count. Can't see the suffering and the sacrifices that were made by so many people before, years before. My sister and others went to jail trying to gain freedoms for us. And we sit on our do-nothings and do nothing can't see can't see so we need people who have insight sight enough to be able to see that there's a whole lot of folk who line up on their way to hell and need somebody who go to them and talk to them listen not only do you need people who have insight but you need people who can intercede that's what Jesus said the solution is. He said, don't come up with a new plan. Don't, don't, don't try to fix what's wrong. He says, the harvest is plenty. The, the, the harvest is full. The judgment is certain. He said, but the laborers, a few. He said, so what I need are people who can pray. People who can pray. People who will pray. Who, who will pray. What will they pray? Pray that the Lord of the harvest will send forth laborers into his vineyard. Pray that God will send somebody to rescue my aunt. Pray that somebody will go and talk to my sister. Pray that somebody will talk to my nephew. Pray, pray that God will raise up somebody who will talk to my brother that I can't talk to. Say that somebody will talk to one of my children that may not want to hear what I got to say, but that God will raise up somebody. And, and, and you know what will happen? You know what will happen? If you pray long enough, and if you pray about God sending somebody long enough, it'll dawn on you, it'll slap you in the face that it's not somebody else that needs to go, but it's me, Lord, that needs to go. I'll go, send me. If the Lord wants somebody, send me. I mean, you got to come to understand that God wants you to become involved in the work of salvation. And you got to do it now. There's an urgency. There's a timetable. We're in summer, literally. But fall is coming. And the rainy season is going to come. And the destruction of the harvest is going to take place. People who could be saved still have a chance to be saved if there are enough laborers to go forward. What is it that you're going to say when you go? You're going to tell them about Jesus. You're going to tell them Jesus Christ is the way. You're going to tell them that Jesus is the truth. You're going to tell them that Jesus is the life. And that no one can come to the Father except or by him. You got to tell people the wages of sin is still death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You got to tell them what kind of God you have. You got a God who loves and cares. You got a God who will come along beside you. You got a God who will get involved, who looks at your pain and sees your deep need and is concerned about every challenge that you have. That's what's needed. I'm going to tell you this about this man who lived in London many years ago. And he was a medical doctor. And one day he was working late in the little place that he worked. And just before he got ready to close for the day, he looked around and he saw in the corner of his office a little boy. And the little boy was dirty and nasty. And the little boy said, oh, please, let me go. Let me out. The man said, no, come on. And he took the little boy and he fed him. And he bathed him and he cleaned him up. And the little boy said, the man 
asking him questions. He said, where do you live? And after probing him for a while, the little boy said, I live in a coal shed in an abandoned building. And the old doctor said, young doctor said, well, come on, show me where, where you live. And the little boy said, okay, if I show you where I live, you're not going to just see me, but you're going to find 13 more little boys and girls just like me. And the account went that the doctor went, and when he got to the abandoned building, there was a hole in the wall. The doctor struck a match, and he put it down so that he could see. And when he went inside, there were 13 little nasty boys and girls in that building. But that doctor took them all in and adopted every one of them. He got involved. And the record of the London Fog, the newspaper, is that when that doctor died, he had on record the accounting for more than 80,000 people that he had embraced. And most of them had become Christian. That's what can happen when you make yourself available to God. And you become usable for God. God will use your life to multiply and to help somebody else to see that Jesus Christ is the way. It's not going to be through legislation. Unfortunately, it's not going to be through all of the other political ramifications and process. They can have a place, but if we're going to save the nation, it's going to be through you and me and others telling somebody else about Jesus. And when enough people have the courage and faith to stand up for what's right, we will protect the rights that we have been given as a nation. One nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for some, for just people on the left side of the aisle, for all. Happy 4th of July. Happy Independence Day. Know that you can be free today if you are free in Jesus. To God be the glory for the things he's done. When I think about the hour, no one knows the day nor the hour when he shall appear. But you need to know this, that more than 100,000 people leave this earth every day and go into a timeless eternity. And many of them are going without the assurance of spending eternity with him. So we've got to do it. 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 The harvest... It's plenty, but the laborers are few. So what are you going to do? You're going to let people continue to go into eternity lost and separated? Or will you be a witness? Will you be usable by God and account for your life to be right with him? If you are, then we're going to give you opportunity. I'm not looking for you to sign the dotted line today. But in your heart, in your mind, make it up that God, I want to be one of those that you can count on. And I commit myself right here, right now, to do the best I can with whatever time you give me, with whatever opportunity that I have to share the love of Jesus with someone else. So if you're in this building today and you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, that's the first step is to accept him as your Lord. And right where you sit, you can just pray in your heart. You can say, God, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe he came to the earth. I believe he died on the cross. I believe he was raised the third day according to the scriptures. And now I want you to live in my heart. So the first step for you is salvation. 
then you can say, Lord, now I want you to take my life and use me. Send me forward that I may be a witness in the community, in the school, in the family, in the home that I live in and help me to do what you would have me do. No, it doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. You're not. You're not going to sprout wings and you're not going to say it all right and you're not going to do it all right, but you'll be headed in the right direction and your life can be filled. We're going to sing now. And any time doing the song, if you're here, you can give your heart to God. You can give one of my brothers and sisters your hand and we can begin a walk. We can begin a relationship as we open now the doors of the church and doing the song, walk this way. If you're home, you're watching on the prayer line, pray, call the line, give God your heart. This is your moment. See, you gotta know what you must do. Listen, 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 listen. No listen. one knows the day. No one knows the day. Nor the hour. Nor the hour. Maybe more. Maybe
is what has got to happen. That is what has got to happen. If we're going to change it, if it's going to turn around, if it's going to be a new day, if it's going to be a miracle that God bless, it's going to have to be with Jesus Christ leading the way. And men and women have to be mobilized to go in places that they can serve and represent him in those places. And that's who we ought to be looking for. You ought to be looking for godly people who will do right things with the position and with the opportunities that God has provided. And we can see a difference made in our nation. But man, if you don't, we're headed for this judgment. We're headed for a catastrophic judgment. And I'm not trying to be a prophet of doom and gloom. I'm just telling you the weather shows it to us. You can't tell. You got 100 degree, three digit numbers down in Texas. You got smoke coming from Canada. You got parts of the earth reeling and rocking and shaking. And things are just coming apart everywhere. And we walking around like we don't know what's going on. God is saying, can you hear me now? One more, one more, one more, one more right here. This is Jesus Christ. Come on, say it. to a message from the Greater Shallow Missionary Baptist Church, where we are reaching the world for Christ. Located at 2135 Jefferson Avenue Southwest, Birmingham, Alabama 35211. For a copy of a CD or DVD, you can reach us at 205-925-5972 or visit us on the web at www.greatershallow.org. For an uplifting message, please join us for the next broadcast.